Hey. Hi. Welcome to my new show. That wasn't supposed to happen. I'm your host, Heather Delamore, and I'm already having an anxiety attack. I want to start by letting you know the kind of show you're getting yourself into. I'll channel the narrator from that seminal movie, 500 Days of Summer. This is not a pandemic story. And then what's going to happen is a lot of the stories you're going to hear are actually going to be about or inextricable to the pandemic. They're not all pandemic related. Maybe even most aren't, but I'm not going to pretend that I myself am not here due in part to the pandemic. So maybe first I'll start with that, my story. <laughs> this is probably the most authentic thing I could do is to say that I'm hosting a show about other people telling their stories. And then what I do first is regale you all with stories about myself. Real middle child move. My six friends that are listening right now, you're all laughing because you're used to this. Strangers, here's hoping you laugh someday. Here's hoping I grow on you. My story is this. At 36 years old, on March 4th, 2020, I went on an adventure with a local photographer, Melissa Surprise. We went to get some headshots, uh, maybe to trick myself into thinking I belonged in front of a camera, really to spend a bunch of money so that this time I had to finally chase this weird dream of pursuing stand-up comedy. New York State, uh, which is where I'm from, would go into lockdown on the 11th. As the pandemic progressed and my secret not-so-secret crush Mark Marin would talk about on his podcast how dehumanizing it was to watch his fellow comics try to chuck yucks on Zoom or later they would even perform for guests who were inside their cars and would honk instead of laugh. <laughs> I knew that not only could I not start out during this hellscape, but it wouldn't even be the right environment to, to even learn the ropes. You can practice frog legs and windmill arms on land if you're learning how to swim, but eventually you're going to have to get into the water. A horn honk is not a laugh. A zoom square is not an audience. There wasn't any more water. Like the good mental health mess that I am, my spiraling and catastrophizing landed on resentment. So that's what I did. I resented everything. Everything. I was already trying to swim upstream, getting on a stage at 36 with the body of a woman who is very clearly 36. I am married. I have three kids. I'm not navigating weird Tinder tales or unsolicited dick pics. My life wasn't even all that funny. So I thought that, like, maybe that's how I'd start out. I'd, I'd make fun of that. Maybe the pandemic was a, was a godsend. Maybe I wouldn't have made it anyway. <laughs> anyway, I stuck to resenting, like, the kids and the partner. Like, that's where I landed. Eh, maybe my saggy boobs a little too. But for me, the dream was over. It was my fault that I didn't pursue it earlier. But come on, it was their fault too. Today, what you're going to do is you're going to hear the story of my friend, John Michelle, owner of Mega Brain Comics in Rhinebeck, New York, who, like me, got a later start at life. I met John at a bar years ago, but we weren't hangout friends, just a couple of industry workers who swapped horror stories after the guests went home. I also didn't grow up reading comics. I dated a lot of different people in my dating years, but the comic nerd was not one of them. Until this guy, Scott, who I thought was just an indie music nerd with whom we could talk about important things like Elliot Smith and Radiohead and how it's possible that he disliked the talking heads. It was all a fucking lie. He was a nerd in disguise. He sold me an iron and wine CD, but was listening to like maggot corpse or something in his own time. Like, if you understood how many albums that live on my shelf have a Baphomet on the cover, if you understood how many times I have to hear that joke about the pile of sticks and it looking like the name of a Norwegian death metal band, <sighs> how is this my life? How did I end up with this guy? Oh, also, he's really into comics. 
Scott was one of John's first customers when Megabrain Comics opened, and John's been in our lives ever since. For some reason, this past summer, John told a local producer that I was needed on his, the, the, the producer's show. Me. So I did that show, which led to this show. Comedy, comics, middle-aged moms, nerdy husbands. I don't get any of this. I don't understand how this unfolded the way it did. And I do know I'm not the only one that feels this way. So welcome to That Wasn't Supposed to Happen. The show that literally wasn't supposed to happen. Hosted by me, Heather Delamore, who wasn't even supposed to be here. That wasn't supposed to happen, no, not at all. I feel like it was like um, Maxwell House or Sanka or something that had I, like special crystals in it that was supposed to make it better. But ooh. now in hindsight, it was probably like, oh, there's like fiberglass in our factory that keeps getting into <laughs> our coffee. We'll just, we'll, we'll just tell people it's flavor crystals. That's so 1984, right? <laughs> yep. That is so 1984. You're like, that won't hurt them, right? Nah, <laughs> it's for flavor. I was definitely of the... Um, coffee commercials are only about your son coming home from the army (laughs) and like he wakes up to the smell do you know and you're like oh you're back oh my god (laughs) oh man those were the days you know what else were the days Mm. when i first met you (laughs) (laughs) oh that was a smooth segue (laughs) you like that guys you're listening to the inaugural episode and i already got my segues down (laughs) (laughs) so john when i first met you you were a bartender at a very popular restaurant in can we say the town yeah yeah in rhinebeck new york yeah how did that happen how'd you land as a bartender I was living in Westchester, which is awful. <laughs> um, sorry, sorry, Westchester. I grew up in Rockland County. So, you know, Westchester to Rockland is essentially like Jersey to New York. Um, so I was living in, in Westchester um, after my son was born for like six years. Mm. And, um, and his mom and I were like, we got to get the hell out of here. Right. So we started house hunting and we wanted to get a house up here, like in Ulster County or Dutchess or something. And, um, and then that's when, when we realized it's like, oh, if we're going to do that, somebody should have a job up there. (laughs) So I, um, I, I don't remember exactly who the connection was, but somebody I knew was like, oh, hey, I know a guy who's the bar manager at this really great restaurant right. in Rhinebeck, New York. Right. And I was like, yeah, sure. So I went up, you know, came up here and I met Chris Carbone. Yeah. Who, <laughs> like, I meet this guy and I'm like, this guy's a bar manager? He was just like, hey, how's it going? Like, he was just so... He's so jovial. Yeah, yeah. And casual and fun. And for anyone who doesn't understand Dutchess County... Well, that's the, the most money John could have made is becoming a bartender at yeah. at a hotspot restaurant in yeah. Rhinebeck, New York. Like there are no other jobs that that pay that well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was the reason why I learned bartending too, because it, in well, not the only reason. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to score check. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, when you're younger, it's like, okay, I need cash all the time. And I kind of also want to meet as many girls as possible all the time. <laughs> so, 
you learn how to bartend. <laughs> so you or, learn how to bartend. Or, or you join a band. Actually, no, because you're not going to have cash all the time if you join a band. <laughs> no. You might have the chicks, but then they go they go running when yeah. they realize that the, the pockets are empty. Yeah. yeah. When I met you as a bartender, you seemed like this mythical, right? You're, you're this tall, like handsome person. You're just like oh, big personality. Yeah, it. Like, who is this guy? And I thought you were so so cool oh thanks i like honestly i have never still to this day i have never considered myself to be cool i always feel like a um i don't know i just always feel like a big dork (laughs) like a goofus well that brings me to my next point (laughs) you were so cool it turns out you were totally a goofus (laughs) and then and then you handed me a comic book that you had written it. Oh, yes. See? And it was like, oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out I was a total dork. So I want to know, what did it feel like to be working as a bartender, but knowing that your love was was comics and, and, and you had that talent as an artist? Uh, did you feel like you were wasting your days? Did you feel like this is just a chapter? Tell us a little bit about that time in your life. Um. I mean, it was, it was definitely weird. Um, I guess at that point, Diego, uh, my, my oldest son, he was probably about five, mm-hmm. um, maybe four or five. And, and once I had a kid that was, um, <laughs> once I had a kid, that was when all my dreams got lit on fire. <laughs> yeah. no, it was, it was, um, it was actually when I I started to kind of allow myself to dream bigger. Wow. So so you're saying you have a kid and you got to put the dreams on hold because kid money, but well, then it allowed you to dream bigger. Yeah. Say just, more. So so before uh Diego was born, I was kind of this um untethered flighty um piece of work <laughs> like, <laughs> like i really i couldn't sit still for for longer like i really couldn't sit still for longer than maybe like a couple of years wow. um so i'd you know i'd move someplace i'd be dating somebody and usually within like a year or two years or like a couple of times like three years i'd be like all right, I got to get out of here. And then Mm. I'd hit the road. Um, You know, usually if I was in a relationship, that relationship would somehow implode or explode Mm. or, or just, you know, uh, just take out the whole city block. And I would just kind of like bounce from city to city and, and just see where, you know, life was taking me. And, and I would let life happen to me a lot. Um, there were a lot of relationships that I was in that just like, I woke up and it's like, whoa, how am I dating this person for like a year now? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're like, I thought we just met at like, you know, the bookstore. <laughs> so you've had, um, you've had experience with pandemic feelings prior to the pandemic. You <laughs> yeah. were like, oh, I know what it's like to lose a year. Yeah. <laughs> and, and after like kind of just letting life happen to me or like, you know, I was, I was in, I bounced all over Rockland. I bounced into the city, Brooklyn, um, uh, lived in LA for like a few years. Mm. And then, uh, just before Diego was born, um, I had to get the fuck out of LA for a number of reasons. And I was like, I need to get out of this country. So like I, um, I, I went over to Italy for a while just because I had like, uh, a whisper of an opportunity to stay on somebody's floor for like a month. And I was like, all right, I guess that means I'm moving to Italy forever. And, wow. and so I left the country with no intention of coming back. Wow. <laughs> um, but you came back. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, please refer to the first excerpt where I talked about how uh, my relationships <laughs> tended to uh, uh, implode or explode. Yeah. And yeah. I was dating somebody and, and our relationship got um, uh, volatile. Yeah. But it was my fault, which, <laughs> which, I, which I, you know, 
later realized. And so I was like, okay, I got to get out of here now. And I, I came back to New York just to kind of like touch base, you know, see my mom, my sisters. Is that where your family is? Is this your roots, New York? Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in, in Rockland County and, um, and you know, but in when times are tough, uh, always, you know, touch base with mom and like (laughs) sort of, it's sort of like, um, you know, putting a hand on the ground or like getting off the boat and like, just, you know, grabbing hold of the sand in the beach. Like she's, she's the thing that like, you know, grounds you, um, kind of grounds our whole family. So, you know, I came back to New York to like kind of check in with everybody and then whoop, whoops, I, I had a baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so yeah. And, and once he was born, there was this moment where I was like, just kind of hanging out in our living room and I'm like holding this little squishy ball of thing that I'm yeah yeah, like I'm supposed to like feed it and make sure it doesn't have poop on it and stuff like that (laughs) and um and then I realized that like I wasn't doing anything like I like I wasn't doing anything and and Mm -hmm. for years like people always said oh you're so talented at writing you're so talented at art and this and that and you can do so many things and I just didn't do anything um I can resonate with that yeah right (laughs) and and it's like when it hits you and then you kind of take stock and you're like, okay, I haven't been doing anything and I'm, I'm like 30. Yeah. And so what is this kid going to grow up? Like, who is this kid going to grow up seeing? Yeah. And that was when I was like, I want this kid to grow up seeing at least somebody that's trying to create something and putting that out into the world and and see somebody that's trying to i don't know just trying to achieve anything instead of like just floating on the wind so is that where the big dreams came from this desire to want to show him you were striving to achieve so you might as well just shoot for yeah yeah and what were the big dreams well i mean they weren't weren't that big i guess in the end but um uh, I just realized like I had all these things that I was constant, all these ideas I was constantly like writing down and, and talking about with people. And I was like, you know what? I think it's time that like, I just make a comic. Like I wanted to make comic books all my life. I wanted to be somehow involved in the industry. I, I at that point I had friends that were in the industry mm. on like the um, art and writing side and I had I knew people that owned comic shops and stuff like that and I just always wanted to be somehow like touching the the comic book industry and and so I was like all right fuck it um I'm just gonna start writing and I started writing and I was like sketching all these ideas of characters and um the aha moment was um I was working in a do you know Party City? Yeah, of course. <laughs> so 98% of the things in Party City are designed and created by a company named Amscan, which is in Elmsford, New York, slash oh, yeah. Westchester. Yeah. And I worked in a tiny cubicle as a freelancer in that company. Wow. And that was where I met uh, my my very good friend, MJ Vuolo. And she came in just as to temporary replace a temp. So I, I go in, we were all temps essentially. So I go into the cubicle one day and I'm like, where the hell's Miranda? Who, who, who the hell is that? And then within like a couple of days, we're, we're not accomplishing any work that we're supposed to be doing for the company. And we're just shooting the shit in iMessage about the comics and the music that we like. Oh, wow. And and it was MJ who, you know, one day when I started talking about like writing comics and stuff, she had said, oh, you know, I always had this this fantasy about having a comic book company or, you know, called Megabrain because I always thought that was such an awesome name. And I was like, oh, that is a pretty cool name. So So 
I just, I'm, I have to stop you so people understand you were working as a temp making shitty, items. Shitty party supplies. <laughs> for Party City. So like yeah. a balloon that you blow up that says the big 4-0, you know, for and, dad's 40th birthday. You know, all those cheesy little rubber duckies for like... Fourth of July rubber ducky and and like, oh like with a with a yeah and and a flag like, on it right yep. uh, I, that I was made you many of those that was you yeah. we can thank you for that you're welcome but then so in no world were you at that point at that place working toward the comic book industry and yet in in walks MJ yeah I love that. MJ too, which is like, mm, if oh. you're a comic nerd, do you see it, guys? Oh, oh, wait, wait till we get to the part where you find out that my sister's name is Gwen Stacy. Oh. <laughs> I can't; it's too much already. Um, yeah, it was it it was one of those like, oh, like look at us here here we are you were you were meant to meet and yeah. and if you're if you're feeling that juju voodoo juju stuff you were meant to meet mj yeah so ever since i was a kid i have a really tough time um uh trusting people enough to like really accept them as like friends i have a lot of acquaintances a lot of people that like i know in a tertiary kind of Super, superficial way and and i'm constantly like kind of adding marbles into you know people's little leather satchels of like yeah. you know oh actually i think this person might be they, i think they might be a friend <laughs> mj i feel like it was immediate like holy crap like did are we related <laughs> like, it was it was almost instantaneous wow. it was like oh are, are we now best friends yes yes we are <laughs> um so so yeah that was that was pretty cool and and it was i don't i don't know how long after that that we like kind of pulled in a few of our other friends because i started writing an actual script and then we start passing it, passing it around to all of our friend, like comic nerd friends. Yeah. And then eventually there's like five of us who are like, yeah, let's like, let's figure out how to actually make this thing and like find an artist and like just make it. So, um, yeah, it was by 2009, we actually made Megabrain an official like company like DBA and then by 2011 we had gotten like found an artist raised the money and like somehow got a booth at actually thankfully due to uh, some really good friends the nerdy duo who had a booth at comic-con they were like oh you guys have a comic come share our booth with us. Wow. And so we like debuted this comic, like 2011 New York comic con was like fucking awesome. It was, it was, uh, yeah, it was a wild experience. It feels so random and yet so destined simultaneously, which doesn't make sense. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> like it, like all the pieces kind of fell into place and fit. But, but it, they were random pieces yeah, you they weren't were like total, certainly searching for. No, <laughs> no, not at all. Like it was, oh, here I am like working at this, this temp job and, yeah. you know, gotta, gotta pay the bills, gotta make the donuts. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And, you know, just people end up kind of stepping into your life that you're like, oh, I'm, I've been waiting for you. One of the things when I think about meeting you as a bartender and, being handed your comic book. Can I interrupt for one second? <laughs> yeah, of course you can interrupt. So I just want to preface by saying I have never bartended uh, sober a day in my life. <laughs> so you don't remember what I... No, I, I, I'm I, not going to go to like... <laughs> remember what you said to me? That's not the thing at all. I was <laughs> like... I, But just all... <laughs> like more often than not, before when you can actually smoke in indoors and yeah, stuff like that, yeah. I always had a cigarette in my hand at, or at, hanging out of my mouth <laughs> and I was always drinking uh, uh, bourbon or gin. And when I was at Terrapin, 
I was always drinking uh, vodka cranberry. Nice. And, and so, I, like, gotta I would, keep that UTI at bay, son. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Ooh, it burns. Oh, right. Well, so you don't. You have no recollection of handing uh, me this comic book. I, I actually do reco- recollect handing you that comic. <laughs> I just I wanted to preface it just in case I said something stupid. <laughs> no, no. So you go from handing me a comic book whilst being a bartender to, you know, I want to say it was a few years because that was like 2011. So I want to say by like 14, 15, you owned a comic book store. Yeah. that I think we we met in 2000. Oh, wait. Yeah, you're right. Because was... I was at Bread Alone, another famous restaurant yes. in Rhinebeck, New York. Um, Which I also worked at in... The very famous Woodstock, New York. <laughs> yeah. Folks, this that is was... an episode just like, you know, promoting New this, York. <laughs> this here is called Resume New York. <laughs> this is a tourism ad. In a matter of years, you went from bartending and, and writing a comic book to now all of a sudden owning owning a shop. Not just working at one, not... I mean, that. well, I, I will say I probably would have settled for working at a comic shop if I ever had the opportunity, but comic shops are, they're one of like those unicorn jobs. It's like, Oh, I want to work at a record store video store (laughs) or, or record or a comic book store. It's, you know, something like that. If you grew up on high fidelity, you wanted to work at a record store. Exactly. (laughs) Right. And I will say I achieved two of those unicorn jobs that, um, that I had always wanted I worked at Tower Records when I was younger, so mm. I had the record store thing, and God, that job was so good. Ugh. And I've worked at a million art stores, which is like also its own, um, like precious little right. gem right. of a job. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never, never got the the comic shop opportunity, and I grew up with some amazing comic shops. So, so you made the opportunity I, I, happen. I made the opportunity happen because you dreamed big. I did. Right? <laughs> I, it was like, you know, fuck working for somebody else and making them money. I'll work for myself and still not make any money. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the part where the story sort of takes a turn, right? It, it, a lot of it leading up, you know, I had my ideas about what I thought your journey sounded like. And it sounds like the things that weren't supposed to happen happened often yes. along the way. But you opened this comic book store and opportunities came that feel unicorn in themselves. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, <clears throat> I feel like I forced gumped my way through a lot of this stuff. <laughs> like... I always know how to, I guess, how to plant the seed yeah. and then somehow whatever ends up growing it from it is, you know, I think I'm planting kale, but instead what I planted was rutabagas. I don't know. <laughs> um, the, uh, weird. I was uh, thinking rutabagas too. <laughs> so that's really weird. Um, okay. So I left bartending at Terrapin for uh, a web development job. A friend of mine was the manager at this office. And then from there, somehow that spun me into, um, actually, uh, again, Woodstock, New York. Um, That spun me into being the project manager on a building renovation and starting a new business for uh, a couple in Woodstock which then spun me into opening a comic book store, <laughs> which is, which is uh, kind of a roundabout way to do yeah. that. It's like in Candyland where you could take that little bridge that yes. cuts through the, the chocolate guy. Yep. But instead you were like, do, 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 do. like <laughs> you went all the way over. I'm going to go back the, and get some more gumdrops. You did the whole board. I did the whole board. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so Mega Brain becomes a shop, and in walks uh, a number of people. Actually, <laughs> in, in walks in walks Paul Rudd, sexiest man alive. Congratulations, Paul! Congratulations. <laughs> we were all rooting for you. <laughs> um, 
In walks Paul Rudd. In walks Jeffrey Dean Morgan. In walks his wife, Hillary Mor- Burton Morgan. And it was weird. Yeah. <laughs> it was fucking weird. I'm like, what are all these people doing coming to my comic book store? Uh, it's like, we, we, and it was especially weird because at that time, my comic shop, when I look at pictures, it looked and kind of felt like one of those bodegas that only has like beans on a shelf <laughs> and it's like oh that's just that's where everybody goes to buy weed like we, you had, like, had, we had nothing you <laughs> had that paneling right like looks like shiplap but it has big spaces in between yep. to put the bars yep to hold the merch oh, it, yeah. it's so store that's going to change in a few months yeah <laughs> it was you know I, I i needed to i needed to needed it to be flexible <laughs> but, so in they walk and you have to be normal you have to talk you know just because you're the manager you're not the kid behind the counter that you could be like yo you can't talk to them like that later like you're the manager well, that has to be well owner yeah. that has to be like hi how you how you how you how y'all doing well uh oddly enough i i don't know why but um i guess celebrities always kind of end up like near and around me yeah like growing up in rockland county there's uh uh, bill murray lives down there Mm. uh i almost ran over john hurt once so i've kind of always kind of been around you know people that would be considered famous and celebrities and so i just have never the only t- okay, the only time <laughs> that I like legitimately brain farted and like I like to the point that I didn't even get the opportunity to geek out mm-hmm. was um the one time that I was standing in front of a beetle. Wow. And it, yeah. And it was my favorite beetle in yeah. the fucking universe. Yeah. I think my friends and I were like 15 years old, maybe 16. We were just like farting around New York City because we're yeah. like suburban kids. We're like, yeah. let's go to the city. Let's and go like, to the city. Be cool. And every weekend, <laughs> as as we're walking down the street, I just catch a glimpse of like the silhouette of this person at a newsstand, like looking at a magazine, and mm-hmm. I was like, I. Oh, that really big hair looks familiar because oh. George Harrison had like a glorious mullet. Yes. Of, like helmet hair. Yes. And so I just kind of stopped and I'm like just staring at this guy's back. My friends don't even notice that I'm like not walking with them. And I'm like staring at the back of his head so hard. And then he starts to turn and I'm like, fuck, that's George Harrison. <laughs> And he's like just going about his business, and like he feels the heat of, <laughs> of my weird teen stare on him. <laughs> I can't even imagine like what, like what that feels like, like or, right? Or like him turning around to see me, just like dead eyeing him, like <laughs> and like probably sweating bullets. And all he did was like, he just gave me like the warmest little smile and he just like kind of, you know, like gave me a little, you know, salute and he took his magazine, turned and walked away and like, and I was like, I felt like I fucking chickened out. Like like George Harrison and I should have been best friends after that. But he was, he was somebody that I would have like completely just made a fool of myself if I had the opportunity oh to talk yeah. to Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I met David Sedaris oh. once and I, I love him. Um, his books meant so much to me at a time that I needed them to do for me what they did. Yeah. So I finally get the chance to meet him and I give him the book to sign. And he says, do you work in an aquarium? <laughs> So, so David Sedaris thinks I smell like fish. Oh no! So celebrities aren't, you know, I don't, I don't do so well. I, I called John Leguizamo John once while giving him his coffee. Here you go, John, and he looked at me like, "Shut your mouth." 
I don't do so well with the celebrities. We uh oh, Maya Bialik, like she was she was um really fun and I I met her when she was like no longer acting. She was going mm. just going to school. Getting that PhD, son. Yeah. And and that she was a fun one. Oh. And um I had an embarrassing moment with um Steven Spielberg. Uh, that's fine, right? Like, I, that, if you're going to be embarrassed in front of anybody, I think Daddy Steve is is. Yeah, that but seems I, fine. I feel bad because I was I was you know I was in my twenties and it was because the guy I work with I, I was working with in L.A. We were you know um, we were we were admiring Kate Capshaw, his wife, who had come in <laughs> to the shop. After uh, riding uh, her horses and nice pants. Yes. Nice pants for the folks at home. Nice pants. (laughs) And, uh, and we did not notice that Steven Spielberg was right there, like listening to us. And I was like, Oh, uh." so, so there are times I've put my, my foot in my mouth when it comes to famous folks. But for the most part, it, when I meet them, they're like, like it feels weird saying this. It's like they're just like people. Like no they're, duh. They're right, almost right. like people. Right. Right. <laughs> because well, wait a second. They are people. Yeah. So so yeah, I mean So Jeffrey and, and Paul and Hillary shopping, that you know, that yeah. um became like a regular part of your Part of your week, your month. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're yeah, like they were just always like very sweet and kind, and 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 their kids were just you know lovely, lovely yeah. children who yeah. wanted help finding cool stuff, yeah. and it happened to be that I was the purveyor of cool stuff, of cool stuff. So yeah. Yeah. good to be the king. <laughs> <laughs> so they're coming into the shop. Um, the shop's doing well. I know um, Jeffrey Dean Morgan uh, was gracious enough to sign uh, copies of Negan Lives, which was um, a, a wonderful way to raise money for the shop during, you know, when sales weren't yeah, that, so hot during the pandemic. That saved our keysters during the pandemic, yeah. actually. But something else came out of the pandemic for you. Well, yes, they, um, Jeff and Hillary... So, you know, they both work an immense amount. Right. Like, they are always, always working, whether it's actually, like, filming things or uh, taking care of their farm and Mm -hmm. their children and their, you know, just their family in general. Um, But when the pandemic hit, they, like, all of Hollywood stopped, essentially. Right. And they decided to try to do something fun, like... um, you know, John Krasinski was doing his what did what did he call it? Uh, some good news. Some good news like, that kept me. Yeah, that and Mo Willems teaching us all how to draw at lunch. Forget about it. that's oh, the only yeah. reason why I survived the pandemic. And uh, <laughs> what's his name? Uh, Paul F. Tompkins and his wife did a podcast called Stay at Homekins. <laughs> um, that is so on brand. Yeah. And and so Jeff and Hillary did Friday Night In with the Morgans, yeah. which was uh, essentially them on Zoom with their friends, yeah. like various actors and, and folks. And then like somebody they know from Rhinebeck. Right. <laughs> which, right. Which was really cool. They had like, you know, their doctor, who's also my doctor. And I was like, holy crap, my doctor's on TV. <laughs> and um, and then I got this text one day from Hillary that was like, hey, bud, what's going on? You know, if you have a moment, like, give me a call. And then, um, I call her up and I'm like, hello. And she's <laughs> like, hey, we're doing this thing. And we were just kind of wondering if you wanted to, you know, come on. And, and I was like, fuck yeah, of course I wouldn't like, yeah, I don't know why you want me to come on, but yes, I will do it. I Uh, remember watching that. I remember like my husband and I and our children gathering around to watch that episode of Monday night with the Morgans. So you remember how I prefaced, um, the fact that every time I was bartending, I was always drunk. (laughs) Were you drunk for that? Oh my God. So it's a, okay, it was, it was my first real, uh, 
kind of experience working on some sort of production like TV or film or anything like that. A lot of friends in film and TV. I've watched things being filmed, but I've never been a part of it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, oh, okay. 30 minute show. Like we'll have a nice casual chat. I'm like, Elizabeth Moss, you're awesome. Um, <laughs> and what's up, June? <laughs> and I'm and uh, Nor- you know Norman Reedus is there. I'm like, I don't think I'm cool enough to talk to you, but here we are. <laughs> um, Diane Kruger's a vision, like yeah. it, like the whole thing was yeah. all too much. <laughs> and uh, and so I'm like, all right, this will be fun and casual. I'm going to make myself a little cocktail, and I'll just sit here sipping tequila. With, uh, with your friends, yeah, yeah. you know Elizabeth Moss, <laughs> Norman Reedus, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, and Hills, with just and some, Diane, some of the biggest actors in the world, <laughs> NBD. Oh, man. <laughs> and you did it. But here's the thing: you did it. So, so is that what led to HGTV? Uh, okay. So, because th- this is the meat and potatoes, folks. He opens a a comic shop. After like, you know, like he said, traveling, bouncing around, not being able to sit still. Being a general ne'er do well. <laughs> and then, you know, of course, like all comic shop owners know, you eventually get the spot on HGTV. Yeah, you know, that's that's you know, you open a comic store and then you're on television. <laughs> So tell, how did that happen? How it, did you get that call? I th- I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that was a result of Jeff and Hillary's show because it was shortly after that happened that a random casting director who like, you know, like the many casting directors that are always calling me, <laughs> a, a random casting director was like, hey, so um, we're about to make a TV show and we're looking for like experts on like comic books and toys. And, and we were wondering if like, is that something you do? And I was like, who is this? I was like, <laughs> I was like mom. <laughs> so Weirdest April Fool's ever. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, you know, I, it's what I do every day in my shop is, you know, people come in with stuff and I'm like, oh, this this is this costs this much money. Right. I want to buy it for you right. from you for this much money. Right. So they ended up kind of scheduling this weird uh, Zoom interview with me. Oh wow! And it was like the next day. I was on Zoom with um, this casting director, uh, the director of this mystery show that they weren't telling me about, like you know what it was, and then um, two of the producers. And they just kind of like took me through the paces and were like, so what do you do? And like, how does that work? And blah, blah, blah. So if you were on television, like, would you, you know, X, Y, and Z or, and, and then they start like ramping it up with like general questions mm. to try to, I guess, pull what my personality right, is. Right. Yeah. And then by the end of it, they were like, all right, yeah, that's great. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll let you know. And I'm like, let me know what. Oh, you're <laughs> like, still, you're, I'm like, who are you people? You're still looking for Ashton Kutcher to come out <laughs> yeah. and be like, punked. Yeah. Oh, man. And after that, forgot about it. I totally forgot about it for a year. Of course you did. And then, <laughs> and then one day I start getting uh, emails and random, I don't pick up my phone if right. if my if the number is not locked in. Mm-hmm. So I start getting all these voicemails from people, and I'm like checking, and they're like, "Hey, so um, you know, this is Gabe. Just wondering if you had a chance to read the contracts yet, and you know, just if you, oh if you can gosh. if you can get those to us by Friday because we <laughs> want to start filming in like three days with you." And I'm like. Did like who's who do these people think that they're calling? And I finally like call the um uh like the production company back because yeah, I yeah. get the call from the head of the production okay. company and I'm like, Who are who are you? How did you get this number? <laughs> <laughs> I have a I have a very particular set of skills. Um and they were like, Yeah, we're you know, with the you know, with the show, you know, that we interviewed you about, you know, blah blah blah. 
And I was like, oh, Sideshow Bob. So they tell me to read this contract and I'm like looking through it and I was like, oh, and it was scary as hell. Like yeah. there's so much stuff in the contract about like, well, if you sign this and you do this thing, then you're not allowed to like X, Y, and Z, right. like, you know, which a lot of it sounded like it would impact my actual business. Oh. So I was like, I don't understand what any of this means. I had right. a, a friend of mine that's a lawyer read it and- and then you've got friends in high places. Well, <laughs> and then like the, the, the clincher for me was actually Hillary. Um, I, you know, I sent her a message and I was like, Hey, I have this, uh, company that's approached me about doing this thing. And it's like, it's a reality show. Um, I watch a lot of reality TV and, I don't know if I want to be a part of like that world. That world, yeah. It doesn't always look so savory. Yeah. And and so she like, you know, she calls me back and she's like, "Hey, like what type of show is this?" And I was like, "Well, it's, you know, this thing." And she's like, "Well, you know, it doesn't sound like a a housewives of right right or um it's not going to gotcha yeah it, there's not they're not looking for a gotcha moment yeah, they're looking exactly. for you to do the job yeah. to yeah and so she like kind of talked me through oh. like like what reality tv does and like all the you know and and so she kind of put my mind at ease and was like yeah man like if if this sounds like something that you might want to try like, I don't think this will be something that will, like, bite you in the ass. And and so I was like, all right, sign in the contracts. <laughs> so I, like, signed the contract. And, and the next thing you know, I'm, like, in Queens looking at, you know, some guy's comic book collection and dancing on some... Uh, dance pads oh, with man. him. And that was a good one. There was, there was, there was a lot. When he of came s- out in the um, the uh, full the Tron. Tron. Wow, <laughs> who owns that? There was so much stuff that we did in that house that <laughs> didn't I, make the cut. I was hoping <laughs> for I don't know, like months. I was like, oh my god, I hope they don't put that in. And I hope they don't put that in. And I hope <laughs> they don't put that in. And then there was a couple of stuff. I was like, oh, that was fun. Like, yeah. But it's it was just 30 minutes. Yeah. And, and they just, you know, they chop it up and use, you know, what they need. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff on the cutting room floor. Some stuff I'm, I'm happy is there. Other stuff yeah. might have been interesting. Yeah. Okay. Could have made for some. Yeah. Even more fun. They were a sweet couple. They I love that episode. Oh, I, I loved yeah. like both. So both couples that we filmed with were um, like, I just, I had a blast with yeah. them all. It was like two days at each person's house. And, you know, um, Wiley, the, the first husband with the, with the Tron jacket, yeah. he and I like nerded out on like yeah. comics and stuff like that for two days. And then um, uh, Phoebe and Jeff, the second yeah. couple of the toys, um, you know, we exchanged numbers. I after. follow them on Instagram, yeah. Museum of Nostalgia. Yeah, they are like <laughs> some of the most fun people. Yeah. And and one day I get a text from them. They're like, we just reserved an Airbnb in Rhinebeck. We're coming up to to visit you guys. And and so they like, you know, they came up and, and Alex and I invited them over to our house and they met the kids and uh-huh. we had like a little bonfire and, you know, they wanted to see the shop and, That's you know, they great. hung out at the shop for a while. It was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. From Mega Brain Comics Shop on East Market in Rhinebeck, New York, to being an expert on Cash in the Attic on HGTV. John, it's, it's incredible. Uh, it's unexpected. It's unexpected. <laughs> you t- you tag my show better than I do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I I I just have a tough time thinking that. Um, I don't know. I just have a tough time thinking that things that I do are incredible. <laughs> well, I think the sto- the story is certainly incredible, and you are incredible. You didn't 
balk under pressure when Gabe from production called. You didn't say, no, I don't do those things. Sorry, I'm not an actual expert. I don't have a PhD in toys. <laughs> <laughs> you Where went do for I get it. one of those? I'm sure Harvard has. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, whatever happened to MJ? Oh, um, MJ and her family live in, well, not in Boston, but just outside of Boston. Okay. Um, she's a teacher after, um, after Amscan slash party city, um, she was teaching in Queens and, uh, ended up getting married. Uh, she has three kids now and she and her wife live in, uh, just outside of Boston. And the two of us are frequently, um, cooking up more scripts and things that we want to produce and things like that. Oh, that's great. And and it was it was MJ who um I I felt like I needed to get her approval for to name the store. Yeah. Because yeah. when Alex and I decided to open up this shop, right. it wasn't going to be called Mega Brain. <laughs> uh, I I had a list of names and I was like, "Oh, what am I going to call this thing?" And Alex was the one who was like, "Well, why don't you just call it Mega Brain like you're your comic company and and so that's when i i called her up and i was like hey so i'm doing this thing and she was totally gung-ho about it oh that's awesome <laughs> yeah she really is a great friend yeah and and to be honest i i do hope that the store um eventually has successful enough legs that i can kind of reboot the the publishing arm of it yeah so that like megabrain can be retail and it can be publishing yeah. and we can just make all the comics we want to so the journey the story continues for mj it sounds like oh yeah and for you yeah well john it's been so fun talking to you thanks heather it is always fun talking to you <laughs> oh what a story it wasn't supposed to happen but maybe it was yeah, and and you know, I, I I'm hopefully going to continue my story. Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. This isn't an in memoriam. Yeah, <laughs> knock, knock on wood. We did it. Our first episode in the books, or the interwebs, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to the inaugural episode of That Wasn't Supposed to Happen. Big thanks to John Michelle inviting us into the personal journey where, you know, he was not always the hero. Kind of feel like that vulnerability is powerful and it's going to impact somebody. And that that's the point here. That's the message. You can find John at Megabrain Comics in Rhinebeck, New York, and watch his episodes on the revival of Cash in the Attic on HGTV. That Wasn't Supposed to Happen is produced by Doug Wartell at Spillway Street Studio here in Red Hook, New York. Artwork by Natalie Ranganeshi. Hosted by me, Heather Delamore. If you or someone you know has a story to tell, please reach out to us at supposedtohappenshow at gmail.com. I'll never say anything happens for a reason, but it is reason enough to talk about it. All the trips that you take they will get you there all the little white pills you take